Turn to Romans chapter 8. We will continue our study of this portion of God's Word, which, just like the rest of the Bible, is completely trustworthy and true, authored by God Himself. A reminder that I'm teaching this in a few weeks on the senior high trip, and so I'm working through some of the stuff in here with you guys. I'm sure I'll add some things and take away some things, but... um, Opportunity just to kind of get the gist of it with y'all. Romans 8, and it is a great chapter in the Bible. So follow as I read uh, Romans chapter 8. I'll read verses 1 through 13. And remember, this is the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus... For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Amen. Alright, so uh, last week we focused mainly in verses 1-3. through That God has done what the law could not do in sending His Son to save us from our sins. The law could not save us. The law was not given so that we would try to save ourselves by following it. In the first place, it was given to show us our sin, to show us how insufficient we are in and of ourselves, that we can't save ourselves, and then to lead us to the One who did, Jesus Christ. God condemned our sin by condemning His Son, on the cross, Jesus was our, uh, our substitute. He took our punishment on Himself so that for all who have put their trust in Him, we can say without reservation that there is right now and forever no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. This morning, we are going to get into uh, the third function of the law. So, I went into this a little bit last week. The first function of the law is to show us our sin. The second is to lead to Christ. Anybody remember the third one? 
Show us how to live. Show us how to live. Guide the life of the believer. And it must be wet or something. All right. So, um, we're say we are uh, not saved by keeping God's commands, but once we are saved by believing in the promises of God for salvation, um, we follow the Lord not only by believing in those promises, like the promise that there is no more condemnation, but also by obeying the Lord's commands. We talked about this a lot in Ephesians with the indicatives and the imperatives. Uh, In fact, Jesus says this strongly in John 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Pretty simple. But before we get there talking about following the commands... Um, we need to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. So last week I mentioned a reference to the Trinity. We see God the Father, Son, and Spirit right here in the opening verses of chapter 8. The one true Trinitarian God, one God, three persons. And all three persons of the Trinity are operative in our salvation. So generally speaking, here's how it works. God the Father planned and purposed to save His people from our sins and to restore all that has been broken and lost in sin. Right? He did that before the foundation of the world. Then God the Son came in real time and He executed the plan. He did the work that was necessary to accomplish our salvation from sin and to restore all of creation. So God the Father planned it before time began. God the Son came in time 2,000 years ago to accomplish our salvation, to accomplish the plan. And then when Jesus went back to heaven, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to continue the execution of the plan. The Spirit came to apply what the Father planned and what Jesus accomplished. There's a classic theological book by John Murray called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And that's what it's talking about. Accomplished in Christ, applied in the Spirit uh, as, as, it, uh, as it gets fleshed out. So in terms of the three persons of the Trinity in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit takes center stage. In the first 27 verses, He's referred to, I believe it's 19 times. And uh, by the way, notice I say he, not it. The Holy Spirit is he, not it. He is the third person of our triune God. Okay, so what about the work of the Holy Spirit? Start with verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Remember, we could say the fixed reality of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Simply put, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's how you believed in Him in the first place. Look at the second half of verse 9. You are in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Notice the Spirit here is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. So while we're right to distinguish between the three persons of the Trinity, this shows the unity. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, But the main point I want you to see is simply 
that all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And um, anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them does not belong to Jesus. And if you don't belong to Jesus, that means you're not saved. Uh, If you do belong to Jesus, you are saved and you have the Spirit. Okay. In Ephesians, Paul says that the Spirit is God's deposit in us, His down payment, His guarantee that we are His. God has put uh, the Holy Spirit inside of all of us to assure us that we belong to Him. And as I said a minute ago, the Holy Spirit comes to apply what Jesus accomplished. So the Father planned to save us from sin and death. Jesus accomplished our salvation, all of it, on the cross. Nothing left needs to be accomplished. The Holy Spirit comes to live in the world inside of God's people to apply what Jesus accomplished, not only letting us know that we are His, right? Giving us that assurance of salvation, uh, but also comes to recreate us and restore us into God's original design for us as human beings. So, we were all created in the likeness and image of God. Which means a number of different things, but um, part of what it means is that we were meant to reflect something of what God is like in the world. So, sin came and wrecked the image. Um, It didn't remove the image, but it did tarnish it. It wrecked it. But, Jesus paid for our sins. He purchased us from slavery, to sin, from slavery to sin. He sends the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us so that we no longer live like slaves to sin because we've been set free. So that we don't remain in the wreckage, if you will. But we are instead remade and restored to live the way God intended us to live. Uh, I think I talked about this a few years ago at a men's thing, but it's like that old Jeep that uh, Jason McColgan has been restoring. When he got it, there were some missing parts. Uh, It was rusted out in places. It needed a lot of work. But now that thing is well on its way to being uh, restored to its original design. Still needs work, but it's up and running. And that's like us when we become Christians. God comes and gets us from the junkyard of sin. We're missing some very important parts. We're rusted out in some places. When He got me, my my frame was real bad, twisted and bent. And I was missing a whole lot of screws and everything else. But God sent His Son to rescue us from the junkyard. And when He saves us, He gives us His Holy Spirit to bring us to new life and restore us to His original design. We're not fully restored yet. We won't be until we get to glory. But He's working on us. And the more that we grow, the more we resemble God's original design for us. Which is to say, the more we look like Him. The more we reflect Him. You with me? So far? Okay. So where do the commands come in? Uh, Earlier I told you we're going to talk about the third use of the law, guide the life of the believer. So uh, keep your place in Romans 8, turn to Ezekiel 36. One of my favorite sections in the Bible, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, back a little ways from Romans if you're scrambling. 
That's okay. Towards the end of the Old Testament, one of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet a few hundred years before the time of Christ, and one of the big jobs of the prophets was to tell the future. Uh, God had given them insight into things to come, and one of the things they were doing was telling about the great salvation that God would work in Christ in the future. That's what Ezekiel is talking about here in chapter 36. So follow as I read um, verses 23 through 27. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among the nations. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Okay. Another way of saying that is what I just said. God's people are wrecked in sin, not reflecting Him like He intended, profaning His name instead, which is what sin does. But God said He's going to do something in His people uh, in order that they would no longer profane His name and instead would honor Him and properly reflect Him so that He would get the glory that He deserves. Verse 24 to 27. This is what He's going to do. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So another way, uh, God says, I'm going to come and get you from sin and I'm going to clean you up. And I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. And many of you know uh, the heart here doesn't mean the organ that pumps blood. It, it, to the Jew, they're talking about the center of who you are. Like when we say heart of hearts, um, the, that part of us that, that drives us. You know, uh, you, God says, in your heart, at, at the core of who you are, you are hard to me like a stone. But I'm going to make you soft and receptive and alive to me like flesh, so that I can mold you and shape you. Stones aren't moldable. They're hard, unimpressionable flesh. You mold it, shape it, it's living. Um, so, God will mold us, shape us to be more like Him. But not only does He say He'll give His people a new heart, also a new spirit. Verse 27, I will put my Holy Spirit within you. Why? This is what I want you to see in regard to the commands to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Or we could say, obey the law. Obey the commands. Back to Romans 8. <clears throat> so this is what happens when someone becomes Christian. God saves us from our sin. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new motivations, new desires, a new will, new capacity to do what He says. And He puts His Holy Spirit inside of us and He gives us His Spirit for a purpose. To remake us into His original design. 
so that we now walk according to His commands. In our natural sinful state, before we're saved by believing in Christ, before we have the Holy Spirit, we are not able to follow God according to His commands. That's what it says in Romans 8. In, in verses 5-8, through 8, Paul's describing the Christian and the non-Christian. The Christian is described as in the spirit. The non-Christian is described as in the flesh. Look at verse 7. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law or God's commands. Indeed, it cannot. It's impossible. All of us are born in sin, and before we're saved, what is here called in the spirit, before we're in the spirit, we do not submit to God's word. We don't walk according to His ways. We might try to manufacture some sort of obedience, but truly, from the heart, in submission to the Lord, we do not do it. We are incapable of doing it. We are hostile and hardened to God. But when God pours out His amazing grace to save sinners and brings us to new life in Christ, He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us. And He does it in order to enable us to submit to His law and walk according to His ways. That's what it's talking about, verse 2 and verse 4. The law of the Spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That's not saying we become righteous and earn God's salvation by obeying the law. Uh, One of the main points of the book of Romans to this point is that we can't keep the law in our natural sinful state, but that Jesus did. And He did it in our place. And He died for our not doing so. But then what? Then the Holy Spirit came to fill His people so that we can now do what we once could not do. Live according to God's commands. So then, if that's God's purpose, and it most certainly is, then we'd better get to work living the way He has created us and recreated us in Christ by the Spirit to live. The reality is we have responsibility in the restoration process. We have absolutely nothing to do with the plan of salvation. God the Father did that before time began. We have nothing to do with the accomplishment of salvation. Jesus did that on the cross. We have nothing to do with being brought out of the junkyard. We were dead in the junkyard. And the Spirit brings us to life and brings us out of the junkyard and we're set apart for restoration. And that's all God. We haven't done anything. But once we're saved, once we're brought to new life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're now responsible to participate with what God is doing to live in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So in verse 5-8, through eight, Paul's describing the Christian and the non-Christian. The Christian in the Spirit, the non-Christian in the flesh. But then further down, it says, we now have a choice to walk either according to the Spirit or according to the flesh. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if you put to death your sin... You will live. So you see, for the Christian, we have this option. We're going to live in the Spirit. We're going to live in the flesh. For the non-Christian, there's no decision to make. It's all flesh. 
It may appear religious sometimes, but it's all hostility to God. It's all living out of the sin nature. You can't please Him. But for the Christian, for those of us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we have a choice to follow the Spirit according to God's ways or go back to our old sinful ways in the flesh. Again, for the non-Christian, it's all flesh all the time. Hostile to God, cannot submit to God's Word. But for the Christian, we have a responsibility to walk in the Spirit. So as Christians, we're like two people, essentially. I mean, it's not technically right to say that. Uh, We're not. But there is kind of this Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. Good Chris, bad Chris. You all know what I'm talking about. I mean, I have desires to worship God, serve God, please God. And I have these wretched, wicked, sinful desires warring against the things of God inside of me. In the Spirit, we have a new heart. We're responsive to God. We love Him. We love His Word. We love His ways. We, we see the wisdom in them. We want to walk according to them. We have godly desires, but in the flesh, we truly hate the things of God. We choose our sin even though we know it leads to death and destruction. We choose our sin even though we know it's the big middle finger to God. There is a war going on inside of us. We talked in Ephesians about the war going on in, in the world, the principalities and powers. Well, and that's true. And they prey on this internal war as well. I can tell you, in the end, the spirit wins. But the flesh isn't going down easy. And in the meantime, we have to fight. And indeed, we're fighting to kill. We can't ever stop fighting because the flesh is like kudzu. Our sin is always growing. And if we aren't always cutting it down, it will take over. And it's not just kudzu, it's killer kudzu. Not only will it spread, but it's out to get you. As John Owen once famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. But we don't always believe that. We uh, treat our sin like pets. We domesticate them. We put them on a leash and we let them hang around the house. Don't domesticate it. Kill it. I know I've told you the story about the pet snake, but I'll tell you again. Uh, There was a woman. I don't know what was wrong with her, but she had a big pet snake. Boa constrictor. Uh, I don't know. Five, six footer. And, you know, things growing. And, but she loved that snake, and they slept in the same bed. The snake would uh, curl up next to her, you know, on the pillow and whatever. And <laughs> it's just unbelievable. But uh, truly. And so here's this woman and her little snake cooled up. And she takes the vet and gets it taken care of and all that. And the vet says, well, everything looks good. Checking out. It's getting big. Uh, anything, you know, strange behavior or... And she said, no, no, everything just sweet as can be. Uh, well, I guess there's this one thing. He's sleeping different. You know, normally he would do his little he'd curl up, and now I'm waking up, and he's right next to me, and he's stretched out. I can't figure out, you know, is that just... And the vet said, yeah, he's, he's um, going to eat you. He's making sure you're, he's big enough so that you'll fit inside of his body. So, yeah, that's a problem. 
did the story end, Chris? Well, <laughs> if she was half sane, uh, she at least put it in a cage. The point is, our sin may feel cozy for a while, but if you don't kill your sin, it will kill you. I think it was Chris Rock who was talking about a tiger who attacked someone in Las Vegas and I, uh, in one of those shows, and I don't mean to make light of that, but Chris Rock had a great point. He said, people talking about the tiger went crazy. He said, the tiger didn't go crazy, the tiger went tiger. <laughs> and so it is for our sin. People end up in some bad places. Worse than you could have dreamed when we don't stay active in fighting against sin. But do not be surprised because that's just sin doing what it does. It didn't go, they didn't go crazy. Sin just went sin. So, you think you can just keep nurturing the lust with pornography and don't be surprised when it blows up real bad big time. God loves His people too much to continue letting us pursue our sin. He will expose us. He will discipline us and sometimes very severely. And that's grace and mercy. It's a part of the restoration. Being broken over our sin, sometimes being forced into repentance. What we deserve is condemnation. Our sin is hostility to God. When we consciously choose our sin, we are truly throwing God the middle finger, but He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And, and sometimes that shapes up to be severe exposure and um, discipline. So don't think you can keep nursing that gossip on a leash living around the house without consequence or that greed or love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and God's Word will be proven true. Or maybe it's dependence on alcohol. Maybe you're cultivating bitterness in your heart. Uh, Maybe it's just a general lack of thanklessness. We have to kill it or it will kill us. We're all prone to all of these things. But if we don't kill it in the earlier stages, then we're really... We're really in a mess. You know, our neighbors have like a bamboo forest on the other side of the fence, which is um, pretty. It's inconvenient. Uh, bamboo spreads. So we often have these little bamboo shoots in our yard, and they come quick. And there's 10 of them. And you're like, seriously, I just cut the grass last week, and where did all of this come from? Uh, they grow quick, but it's no big deal as long as I'm paying attention. I can hit it with a weed eater, and uh, you know if it's small and you can keep it down that way, run it over with the lawnmower, and it's no big deal. But what happens when it grows a little bit? It'll break your weed eater. I mean, if you're not constantly cutting it down, it thickens, it gets stronger, it takes deeper root, it grows taller. You ever try to break a thick piece of bamboo? It ain't gonna happen. You gotta get a big old saw. And it's the same way with our sin. We nurture it for a little while. We think we don't have to deal with it. And before we know it, we've got a real big, real bad, often generationally devastating mess on our hands. I see it all the time. I've seen it in my own life. 
see my own tendency now to go there. The shoots are all over the place in my life. But we've got to constantly be cutting it down. Okay, so how do I kill it? Um, a few recommendations for you as we run out of time. Um, first, we don't always kill sin by focusing on sin. You know, you choke out weeds by growing healthy grass, right? Theologians call this vivification. You don't really need to know that, but if you want to place it in some uh, bigger books that you read and you're like, what? Vivification is to nurture or sharpen life in the Spirit. Okay? So, number one, be filled with the Spirit. And, and sometimes that may look like simply praying. I pray regularly that God would fill me, fill us with His Holy Spirit. That's a good prayer to pray. Um, but also, cultivating our life in the Spirit. We talk about the means of grace. Uh, central to that is, is corporate worship. Just being here, being a good listener, asking God to help us apply what we've heard, even listening and singing prayerfully uh, as we listen and sing and asking him to apply it in our lives then you know we're often not going to remember what was said four hours from now even but in the moment god is meeting with us and and he'll bring things to mind and we can be applying that then i don't i don't expect you to remember stuff and and quit feeling guilty if you don't you know maybe take some notes if you want to get some things but i don't even think god expects us to remember that he he meets with us under the preaching of His Word and the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and, and He meets with us there. So sing your heart out and sing prayerfully and listen prayerfully. Um, personal devotion in the Word and prayer and song, the same thing. I mean, these are essentials. Corporate worship, personal devotion for, for growth in the Spirit. But again... We're not necessarily going to retain everything or much of what we, we come across. We want to retain more than we do, and there's ways to do that, but it, God is meeting with us there. He's going to take what is there, and we're, that strikes home. And I'm going to pray in light of that back to Him and offload these burdens and day by day, walking with God. And you know, the better we get to know the Lord and His Word, and as He brings these things to mind, we believe what He tells us to believe, no matter what everybody else is saying, and, and we love what He tells us to love, and we hate what He tells us to hate, and we do what He tells us to do. Love Him, love our neighbor, serve other people, share the Gospel, prioritize life with His people, live for Christ, not for ourselves, seek first the Kingdom. I mean, make sacrificial decisions to exercise your faith. Things that, that you don't want to do, but you know are good things and right things to do. And just do it. Because our faith is like a muscle and we've got to get it strong. And sometimes it's weak. And just put yourself out there. Vivification to nurture or sharpen life in the Spirit. Mortification, essentially, to kill sin. And they go together. Uh, another way to cultivate life in the Spirit and kill sin all at once is confession and repentance. I try to talk about this a lot, but it's because we need to make our home in confession and repentance. Daily, hourly, minute by minute at times, confession of sin and repentance from sin. Every thought captive for obedience to Christ. You know, one of the things that means is we just need to expect and, and be okay with the fact that we're going to regularly be brought low. 
we're just going to be exposed. Just because it's hard doesn't mean you're not doing it right. In fact, it might mean that you're on the right track. But you may think, but I haven't seen any victory over these things. Well, victory doesn't come the way that we often think it does. I mentioned this on a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, but do you think Mary and the disciples thought that they were on the precipice of victory and Jesus about to conquer the world when they're standing at His grave? Um, No. And I would say, likewise, we may be well on our way to victory in some of our darkest moments. Jesus was well on His way to victory when He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, brought low and rendered powerless. He had the forces of darkness right where He wanted them. Fall and rise, death and resurrection is how our salvation was accomplished and it's how it gets applied throughout our lives. So as often as you're made aware of your sin, confess your sin to God. He is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you. I love that that's in there too. Cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And as often as you're made aware of your sin against others, confess it to them. It's embarrassing. Sometimes if you live with other people, you're confessing it to the same people over and over again. Sometimes the same sin over and over again. If you're the one being confessed to, How often do I forgive them? Every time. How often are you forgiven? Every time. But we we confess we need that humility that comes with that. And uh, in regard to repentance, truly turning away from our sin in Christ, we should regularly be seeking to repent and we should regularly be asking for repentance. It's a gift. It's a grace. And yet we participate and we're, we're trying to get there and asking God to do it. So whether it's sexual immorality or anger or covetousness, I want someone else's life, uh, jealousy, pride, insecurity, greed, gossip, money, love, anger, bitterness, grumbling and complaining, thanklessness, whatever it is, the best way I know how to tell you to fight is every single time that the thought enters your head, grab it by the throat, take it before the throne, seek repentance, and ask God to grant it. This is sin. It's wretched. It's not me. I'm in Christ. That's Paul even separates himself from it. It's not me. It's sin dwelling in me. I hate it. I'm in Christ. I, I claim this. I believe you. You know, maybe it's not just at the thought level. Maybe you've fallen again. And that's at that moment, we don't think we can come before the throne again. But that's exactly what we need to do is to be humbled and to confess and receive the grace that is in eternal supply, confessing our sins to God, He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. That came before this section, which is significant. It's an every day, every hour, sometimes every minute deal. When your sin is in your mind's eye, take it captive and bask in the glories of God's grace. Father, You love me even though this wretchedness is inside of me and and comes outside of me and hurts other people. Jesus, I believe You. I believe You paid for this and all of this. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Grant me grace to live a new life in Your power, not in the flesh. Finally, a key to gaining ground in confession and repentance is... um, just to realize what's pulling us into sin. Sometimes we can identify the weights that are dragging us there over and over again. 
If it's lust, what is it? Is it the smartphone? Is it the computer? Well, get rid of it. Well, but I gotta work. Well, gain the whole world and lose your soul. I mean, you know, we gotta take drastic measures. We we gotta get rid of things that are dragging us into sin. If it's gossip, is there a friend that you're more prone to gossip with or family member? Well, tell that person. You know, I don't know why. I mean, I love you and I. I just feel, maybe it's because I'm so comfortable, I just feel more prone to gossip. Will you hold me accountable and let's not let that do that? If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has come to bring life. He's come to bring us to life from the junkyard, to set us apart outside of the junkyard, to restore us to God's original design. The Christian life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. But with God, all things are possible. Verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He does, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. We have to fight. Some of us need to start fighting. Some of us have been fighting. Do not give in. And do not give in to despair when you feel like you've been fighting and you're not gaining any ground. If you're honest, you feel like you're losing ground. God is doing good work. The kingdom comes through fall and rise. That humility that's being gained there will be fleshed out in the future. Keep fighting. Seeking to kill sin so it doesn't kill you. Keep trusting that your sins are forgiven. Keep walking the Spirit, not in the flesh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your grace is astounding and amazing and sufficient. And we thank you that there is no condemnation. Passages like this, they, they lay us bare and show us what's there. And it's thank you for not showing us all of it at one time or it would absolutely crush us. But thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you for conviction of sin. It is a great kindness to us to show us our predicament, to lead us to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for each and every one of them. They're screaming at us oftentimes, and uh, thank you that we can tell them to shut up because they've been dealt with. Thank you that our salvation has been fully and finally accomplished, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've come to reside within us to apply it, and we believe that it will be applied to the end. Help us to fight. Help us to trust. Help us in our dependence on You. We pray that You would give us Your strength. We cannot do what You've called us to do in our own strength. Thank You for Your grace. Your grace is sufficient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.